Waking Wraith by Alexander Campbell, narrated by Alexander Campbell. Chapter 12, The Wild Wood. In the last episode, Katie convinces Wraith and Kenneth to go clubbing with her. There she organises a Manchester night to get Wraith dancing. Wraith and Kenneth were coaxed out of their shells, but her real goal was to wait until the club closes so she can cross back to Festavia. After all her efforts, she hopes that Wraith will finally remember who he is. We start the chapter with Wraith, Kenneth and Katie hidden in the stairwell in the nightclub. Before the fire exit, when the noise dulled, Katie spoke to Wraith. She wanted him to hide with them. She believed that if he saw himself in Festavia, he'd remember their quest and fix his life on Earth and then help her fight Lutz. But it was a guess. She did not know if both Wraiths could coexist in the same place. After she said this, Wraith's wild look retreated and then a flash of normality popped. Katie, I know I'm a homeless, but I don't need to kip in here. I've already been done for trespassing. Straight back, she replied. You want to be free? So come with me. I'll show you real freedom. He didn't answer, but stared quizzically at her. Kenneth said, it's true. She can go. I've seen Jane. Who's Jane? Ray said. He replied frankly, a fairy. Ducking down, they hid from the sentinel's watchful glare and rattled down the metal staircase. Reaching the bottom, Kenneth asked, where's Connor? She answered sharply, no, he wouldn't get it. And I do, Wraith cackled. She sat cross-legged and meditated. The club was still open, but she couldn't wait any longer. This was her fastest transition yet, and she learned that she could cross over further away from the portal. She said aloud in the palace's shadows, I'm a don at this. Jogging through the rubble and over the drawbridge, she searched for him. She couldn't wait to see if the old, stipper up lip wraith was back. But sure enough, he was where she'd left him, sat staring bleakly into the darkened, smouldering fire pit. Wraith, she cried. He looked up, as miserable as before. Hey, it's me, she said, marching round the fire pit, trying to catch his eyes. Hello, he said glumly. You don't remember, do you? Remember what, he said. You've been gone for a quarter of a season. She said, you're on earth with me. I brought you to the club. Well, my palace on earth. I don't get it. Why aren't you here? I am. You're not. You're the same as before. Katie, you sound like you've raved for days without sleep. She sat down next to him and dug her elbows into her thighs. She thought, this is doing my head in. Can, ra- can both race exist in two places? Can two minds exist in two universes? Oh, where's Benny when you need him? She told him who he was on earth, but no light came on. She gave up and said, we must get moving. We found Ajax and the other survivors, but Lutz will soon find them. We must find others and hide. He said, sounds like you've got your work cut out. Yes, we both do, Wraith. It's not my battle. Yes, it is, she said. I have to protect the palace, he said. Wraith, the horse has bolted. The battle here is lost forever. Her words cut through his granite shell. His head fell and he quivered. Damn, she thought. She put an arm around him. He flinched. Awkwardly, she said, sorry, I was just trying to help. I'm fine, don't pity me. It's okay to show pain. It's only me, I won't judge. I'm fine. I'm just done, Katie. What's the point? The palace is what I loved. Festavia isn't for me. I'm not like them and they're not like me. His eyes twitched under a strained frown. She said, you weren't like the people in the palace either. I didn't need to be. I wasn't there to be their friend. I was there to protect them. Come with me, Wraith, she said. There's a world out there. 
and it'll be destroyed if we don't stop, Lutz. Katie, I'm finished. I only exist now. If it wasn't for my training, I'd end it myself. The end is nigh. Holding back a tear, she said, this is coming from a man who said I must return and live my life. Yes, and that still stands. You've got a lot to offer. You're a wonderful girl. And so have you. Come on. Life isn't a spectator sport. Remember, you didn't get a black belt by just watching. Her words were punching slowly like a telegram. He chuckled. Some memory you have. I remember what's important, she said. Ask me what my uni timetable is, which hasn't changed in a year, and I wouldn't know. He threw a pebble into the pit. She asked, what are you feeling? He answered, nothing. There is nothing. I feel love nor sadness, joy nor pain. I have no desire or will. All that leads me is a dullness. It weighs me down and drains my energy. My mind is like this pit. It's without a flame or a spark. A few moments passed. The birds tweeted and the wind rustled the leaves. She pondered her next move, but thought, I'm only 21. This is way too deep for me, she thought, to share her experience of her mother's death. But she couldn't, so she said, Sounds depressing. The words fell out. Sometimes her mouth moved before she could think. Cringing, she waited, but nothing happened. His eyes were glazed. In silence, she waited to what felt like an hour. Eventually, she said, I've got to go. Are you coming? Sorry, I just can't, he said. Okay, it's easy for now if you don't. I'm going to fly. She expected him to ask what she meant, but he didn't. Standing up and walking to the other side of the pit in front of him, she shouted, Oh, inner bird spirit, come and transform me. And she shook herself. Nothing happened. Ray threw another pebble. Eek, eek, she squeaked and flapped her arms. Ray said, you sound like a drowning cat. It's not working, she cried. What are you doing, he said. Trying to turn into a bird? No matter how much she tried, not even a feather sprouted. Slumping back down, she too stared into the pit. After a while, he walked to the edge of the forest and rummaged in the bush. He returned with a bowl of hat full of berries. I'm not sure that's right, she said. Eating from a dead man's hat. He shrugged his shoulders and shoveled a handful of berries into his mouth. After a few chumps, he coughed and spluttered. Then the smoke funneled from his nostrils. In delight, she shouted. Red berry nectar, he said. I never tried it, but sod it, who cares? She ate some too but not as many as he did. After a few handfuls, Ray's withering body transformed into a soulful battery of happiness. He cried to her, To the palace we go! She brimmed with a popping energy. Everything tickled her thoughts. The sun's rays grew a new life around her. The trees, leaves turned to satin, twinkling and shimmering in the orange glow. There was something else new. When she squinted, the palace faced in and out of a ruin. She saw it as it was before. Wraith was far ahead, dancing and pattering across the drawbridge. They're back, he shouted in delight. She ran after him. Inside, she saw him prancing and springing across the dance floor. He stopped at the DJ tower and peered up. He scaled it and 50 foot above, he shouted. They want me to start them. What? she cried. The wheels are still. His head disappeared under a wall. There was banging and clashing and then, meep. One of the damp, moss-ridden speakers clinging onto a wall blared out. They're right, it works, he shouted. Looking up, she shouted, play something, my feet are itchy. The first beat made them move on their own. 
Staying Alive by Bee Gees pumped out the speaker. To them it sounded like notes sung from an angel, but to the birds and the wildlife it must have communicated a screechy din from old speakers. Standing at the top of the tower, balancing on crumbling books, Wraith widened his arms. She knew it was foolish, but a rush of love and adrenaline halted her words of caution. He jumped. In the air he stalled and rotated. This was not a jump of suicide, but one of performance. Falling with several twists, he landed feet together, arms wide out. He shouted, I've always wanted to do that. Blimey, Rafe, she gasped. He laughed. Cor, blimey, missus. What are you? An EastEnder now? That took my breath away, she exclaimed. Theatrically, he clapped above his head. And take my breath away by Berlin played. She tutted and he pranced comically to her. She said, who's the dramatic one now? Her emotions changed from foggy to a peachy tingly then a rosy jubilant. She said, you've changed your tune. You're not boring. When her muscles lost tension, the ruins hum of life. A sudden tightness would make all go quiet. She gave in and let it lead her. The destruction disappeared and only the past glory remained. The music no longer played outside but inside her too. Joy and happiness embraced her. Her fears and anxieties fled. They were beyond forgotten. They never existed. Race eyes matched hers, wide and bright. He was brand new, better than new. He was reborn. From the humming walls emerged colourful, transparent forms, but became full each time they laughed or danced. They're back, cried Wraith. We never left, said a faint echoing voice at the head of the dance floor. She gasped. The stage had reappeared and on it, sitting on transparent, flickering crystal thrones, sat the king and queen. Look, she cried. The dance floor was filled with moving, flickering forms, twirling and hopping to the beat. A semi-transparent man, wearing a flickering silver leotard, moved closer to Katie and gazed. He did not say anything but smiled. She tried to grab his arm, but a hand swiped through. She said, Whoa! The phantom sprite danced and moved with the others, their beams of light mixed with those of the disco lights. The floor was a kaleidoscope of colours. The walls stood proud with flickering patches filling the holes. The palace was reborn again. Instinctively, without hesitation, she joined him and became part of the most fabulous, magical party she'd ever been to. Time vanished. The flickering forms could be whole or empty, it did not matter. The party filled them both. She felt love, freedom and excitement. The feelings came with ease and rode where they chose. Without remembering how she came to rest, she woke just after sunrise. Her mouth was coarsely dry and her head drummed. Rushing to the moat, she gulped water. Taking gasps between each plunge, she put her hands back, ready for the next gulp. No matter how much she drunk, she just couldn't quench her thirst. Belly protruding, she lay back on the grass. The sun beat down on her brow. It was far from midday, but it felt excruciatingly hot. Seeking shade, she tracked back to the campfire, expecting to find Wraith, but he wasn't there. Mustering a shout, she cried, Wraith! Oh, I feel sick and rotten from the inside. In the palace's ruins, she discovered it was as dead as before. The life had vanished. Wraith, she cried from the dance floor. She heard an uh, Leaning over a rusty rail, she shouted down, Wraith, you nutter! You slept down there! She managed a laboured trot to him. Tugging an arm, she pleaded, You're a dead weight. Help me! He got to his knees and held his stomach. He moaned. I feel like a salmon who's leapt from the moat and been baked in the sun. She said, stop it, you're making me feel sick. 
Every time the clouds moved, the sun pierced the jagged walls. He shielded his head. Planting him on a log next to the fire, they both buckled. From his slumber, he muttered, What a night, she said. You proper went at it, why? I was me again. I told you, this place isn't done. It's still here. It's not, Wraith, it's a ruin. For now, but after a couple of these, it'll be back, he said, twiddling a couple of berries. She said, I don't know what that was, but it wasn't the palace. It isn't the same. No, it's better, he said, and he rolled back off the log and stretched his arms out in a wild grass. Closing his eyes, he said, I'm going to sleep this off, then I'm going back. Wraith, we have no time. We've got to stop Lutz. To hell with him. I couldn't give him monkeys. She stopped and paused for thought. The Wraith and Festavia was now sounding and behaving like the Wraith on Earth. He'd become unreasonable and his stubborn side was sharpened to a point. Fine, she said. I'll go on my own. He remained still with a tranquil smile. She said, the old Wraith would never let me go on my own. He said, you're a big girl now. See you later. Whatever, and she marched off. Walking down the mountain's path, she crossed her arms and huffed. She thought, what a moron. He'd rather get smashed and mope around a room than help me. I don't need him anyway. Looks like it's all down to me. Good luck, Festavia. Can't even pass an exam. She trudged through the long grass on the path. At the end, by the forest, she shuddered. For there, two weeks ago, she'd always met her fate. The chill was not fear, but an odd, dark feeling. The forest was beautiful, but cold. She felt like it wanted to take her, but what scared her was she somewhat wanted it too. She marched on. She'd have to go through part of the forest to reach Festavia's plane. Sticks and leaves crunched under her feet. The rhododendron bushes poked and stuck out over her path. The forest was no longer silent. Birds tweeted and bushes rustled. Life flourished since her last visit. No fat cat to eat everything, she said aloud to herself. Lost in thought, she was suddenly stunned awake. Standing 50 metres in front of her was a pale, moss-ridden mannequin. Luckily, it was fixed, looking the other way. Frozen, she internally kicked herself for not seeing it earlier. She tried to keep creep away. Thud! A python-sized tree root upended her. Her shoulder took the force and she swallowed a yelp. Her shoulder throbbed and her ankle filled with fluid. Pushing herself up onto her knees, she peeked over the ferns. Damn it, she squeaked, for it had heard her and was now marching her way. Hobbling to her feet, she watched it part the ferns and chop and kick branches from its path. Torn, mould-stained leggings hung from its spindly legs. From its dull, bare face, an unkept beard of moss stuck out. She blurted furiously, Great! Running away, down paths, seems to be my thing. She took flight. Her ankle sent alarms to her brain. Pain! But the rush of adrenaline ended the call. She darted down the path, but soon it too shared the same route. She vaulted over roots and logs, and then glanced over her shoulder. The mannequin tripped. Ha! she cried. Running full throttle into a bend, she lost control, re-rolled her ankle and fell through a bush. Legs going over her head, she tumbled violently down a slope. The forest spun, and any bearing of what was up and what was down had gone. In a heap, her vision returned. She yelped. Sitting up, she clutched the fleshy tire fluid around her ankle. Tears slid down her cheek. She prodded it again. Us, she hissed. At the bottom of the slope, near her lay an abandoned tent. Outside it were scattered weathered photographs. 
The elements had distorted most of them, but some were family and friends. Who would who would camp here, she thought. Laying low, she looked for it. She thought she'd escaped it for a moment, but then she saw the pale white shape poke out from the foliage. It stood peering down straight at her. The song, Tell It To My Heart by Taylor Dane, travelled back to her. Whimpering, she staggered to her feet. Pain shot up her leg. Grabbing a stick, she hobbled onwards. Looking back, she saw it struggling to traverse the slope. On a second glance, it fell. The stick helped pick up her speed, but it wasn't enough as the music grew louder behind her. The path drew to an end and rhododendron bushes, impervious to travel, loomed over her. In rage and desperation, she wielded her stick at it, hacking and slashing. The music was now all around. She turned to meet her fate. Its cold, emotionless figure bore down in front of her, arms raised, ready to strike. Balancing on one leg, she drew back her stick. A fight should give it. Losing here in person would mean death in both worlds. An aged voice squeaked from below. Katie, my dear, follow me. By her foot was a rabbit. Its hair was grey and one long tooth hung from its mouth. Hurry up, it said, and then it hopped into a tunnel within the bush. I won't fit, she shouted. Breathe in. Dropping to her knees, she crawled and forced her head through. The branches tugged and pulled her hair, but she reached forward and grabbed a stem and pulled herself in. All was in but a leg, the one with the swollen ankle. Ah! She felt a vice-like grip squeeze. With the other foot, she frantically stomped and kicked back. The grip released. Quick, Katie, said the rabbit. Sobbing, she dug her fingers knuckle-deep into the soil and heaved herself forward. Looking back, she saw it was on its knees following. The moment within the rabbit run lasted forever. The rabbit hopped and stopped ahead and pleaded with her to hurry. All the time, the mannequin was only a few feet away. It was relentless and then... The music it played from its mouth was deafening. Eventually she found her way out. In a clearing surrounded by a thick bush, she found her feet. Hobbling on one leg, she attempted to kick the mannequin as it stood. But she squealed in pain. With a strong push, it sent her tumbling back. Her hair tangled in knots and scratched all over her body. She glared back up. The mannequin drew its hand back and she closed her eyes. Get in, boys, cried the aged rabbit. From gaps and runs within the bushes poured hundreds of rabbits. The clearing, surrounded by dense rhododendrons, caged and trapped the mannequin. The rabbits were now a swarm, and they gnawed and scratched at it. The music dipped in and out as its mouth was covered in fur and claws. She covered her ears and closed her eyes and hummed. She felt a tug on her jeans. Slowly she opened her eyes. My dear, it's gone. Where the mannequin was lay pieces of cloth, white powder and chippings. She winced and the elderly rabbit said, its soul is free. That was horrible, she said. My dear, that's a vicious circle of life. It wanted your end and it met its. I can't be as frank as you, she said. Seeing that's made me sick. I'll be myself then, said the rabbit. Happy James, when you experience the shortness of life, you'll understand. James, are you the father of James who has a wife called Sandra? He squeaked a slow laugh and said, You don't recognise me, do you? She looked closer. It's you. But if you don't mind me saying, you do look a lot older. Ha! And you, my dear, look as young and pretty as ever. She smiled and looked around. There were now hundreds of rabbits surrounding them. The clearing was like an auditorium. Their eyes were wide and their ears drooped. 
So cute they were, but how vicious they could be. This made her feel slightly uneasy. Looking back, she asked, Where's Sandra? How's she doing? His eyes filled with sorrow. He said, looking at the ground, Does are meant to outlive the bucks. My heart hurts from sunrise to sunset. If it wasn't for our bunnies, I don't know what I would have done. She knelt down to him. He said, It's okay, dear. I'm fine. You, my lady, shared the advice that gave us our best years. Whenever I'm down, I think of them. I still feel her. Tears streamed down her face, and a few of the younger rabbits cried too. Meet my eldest son, Dandy, he said, putting his arm around a sizable fat rabbit with teeth almost as long as his. Dandy remembers you. I do, he said, with a mouthful of food. You carried me and told me stories. You're the lady of the beast. Tearfully, she chuckled. Yes, I remember. You've grown. Have you got bunnies too? Don't even get me started. My old man said, have kids. It's the best thing you can do. He didn't tell me how much work they are. My missus won't stop popping him out. She laughed again. He stared at her belly and said, you got kids? Ha, no way. I'm only 21. What's that in rabbit years? James interrupted. About 210 seasons. You're 210. You should have 10 Warrens by now. She burst into hysterical laughter, then calmed and said, but if we reverse the numbers, I'm only one season old. All the rabbits squeaked with laughter. Even so, he said, most of my mates had them early. What's stopping you? She stared blankly in thought and said, it's never crossed my mind. They're the best thing, Danny said, puffing out his furry chest. James put a paw around him, squeezed and said, see son, daddy knows best. Sitting in the clearing, James explained to Katie what he'd seen since she'd left. The forest for most of the time had been safe. Lutz hadn't set foot in there since his mannequin changing finger was bitten by James's children. But scouts of his would wander in. They wouldn't attack the rabbits. They were only hunting humans. Like long forgotten statues, they waited indefinitely for anyone to come their way. The rabbits were unaffected by the destruction of Festavia. Because of this, they showed little interest. Festavia's partying lands were a universe away from them. She understood why they shouldn't risk themselves. It doesn't concern them. Their only real threat was Blue, the beast, and thanks to her she had been tamed. So with no natural predators, they did what rabbits do best. They made thousands of bunnies. They escorted her to the edge of the forest. She took a deep breath and walked onto the plain. It was to be a long journey to the coast. Thank you for listening to Waking Wraith. The next chapter will be out very soon. Please uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok under Festavia. Also, you can show us support by buying a book on Amazon called Festavia. Thank you very much.